Good morning. How's everyone going? Huh? The, um, I was going to preach. I had a sermon I, I was preparing, well, I had prepared to preach on. And then I just felt this morning when I woke up before I left the house, Naomi can attest to this. I said, oh, I don't know if I want to preach on um, what I'm feeling. And then when I got here this morning, Edith asked the question, how many people are having a, have had an average week? And a lot of people put their hands up, right? Um, and, you know, there was only a few people that said they had a good week. Most people had an average week, and most people had some sort of dodgy week. So um, challenging is the word. Yes, thank you. Challenging week. So... <laughs> During worship, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to not preach on what I want to preach on. I'm just going to sort of go with what I feel maybe the Holy Spirit wants me to, to go with, right? So if you go with me, and there's a, there'll be a, in actual fact, there's a whole lot of different messages today that I'll probably bring, try and bring together into one, or I'm picking pieces out of different messages to try and make up one. That's probably the best way I can describe it. But if you go with me to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1. Are you there? Ezekiel chapter 1. He says, In the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Jehokanan. Jehokanan. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the, by the Kabar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And then it goes on to give quite a fantastical um, vision that Ezekiel has. He has quite, a, quite an amazing vision. And a lot of the times, actually, in fact, we spoke about this quite a few weeks ago in our home group, quite, quite some time ago, actually. What happens is we, we start to focus, because that's what we want to do, is we want to get into the nitty-gritty of what are all the meanings of all these things that Ezekiel saw in the vision. And so we start to try and break down. You know, he, had, he saw the creatures. What does that mean? He saw the wheels and the wheels and the wheels. What does that mean? And, and while we can actually break that down, I heard Shane Willard once say this. He said, oftentimes we get caught up so much in the detail of Scripture and trying to figure out all the prophetic meanings and all the symbolisms and all the, the um, metaphors that we actually miss the basics of it. And while, yes, we are meant to mine and deep through it, deep, dig deeper through the Scripture, we are also meant to see the, the different layers. So we, we, need to, we need to also step up and see some of the, the top layers, which can sometimes um, be so simplistic that they're actually the deeper layers. So I, the, the history of this is not, is not my own personal study where I've literally gone down, but I, but I heard somebody share the history of the situation, and I thought, this is quite incredible. And I, this morning it came back to me, and I felt, hey, do you know what? This is quite fitting for now. So I'll just share a little bit of history as to what the situation is, because we immediately go and focus on from, from verse 4. 
but we miss verse 1 to 3, which is, here is this guy called Ezekiel. He is sitting with a whole lot of exiles, other exiles, at this river. This river is a river in Babylon. Okay, the, the story of it is this. Ezekiel was a priest. It says that Ezekiel the priest. Now, Ezekiel wasn't a priest when he was in, in exile. He was a priest when he was in Israel. A young priest, very young man. Nebuchadnezzar had plundered Babylon, had plundered Israel. Israel, as you've heard us speak many times, went through this rock and roll journey. They were up and down like a yo-yo. They would worship God. And what would happen is good things would come. They would turn their affections towards idols. They would allow astropoles and other types of idols to come into their land. They would take, as God had said, do not take wives from foreign nations for your sons. Do not give your, your daughters to these uh, uh, foreign nations as wives. Because what will happen is you will water down my kingdom, my glory, and, and they will bring their cultures into your land. And, that's, and then what will happen is the, the enemy will, will run rough among you. So ultimately, this goes on for decades, for generations. And eventually, the, the great exile is that Israel are taken to Babylon. And we find ourselves in a position now where Ezekiel is sitting in the river, at the river, um, at the canal, which is a river, with all these other exiles after five years into this exile. So it's five years after the exile of King Jehokanan. So... For a Jewish priest, if you look at the history of what happened when, when Nebuchadnezzar and them came to Israel, they walked into Israel. Now, remember, for their whole life, they had a tabernacle set up. And they would worship God daily, daily, not on a Sunday. They didn't worship God on the Sabbath. They worshiped God every day. Not every day as individuals, but every day as a community. That's quite powerful. Something about that, right? Here they are living with the presence of God in an ark, a box that was covered with gold that was set behind these really thick curtains that only one person once a year could go inside of. And that priest had to be cleansed with the blood of sacrificed animals before he could enter in. They would tie rope to his leg because if he died in there, they could then pull him out because no one could go in and take him out because they too would die. So this is who they serve, a powerful God that allows them to worship him, and only one person can go in there once a year, and it's completely dark because they cannot look upon God because they'll die. In comes an evil foreign nation, a foreign king with his army, and he walks in, and he wants to plunder the treasures of the temple, and eventually they say that that's where most, he wants to know where the greatest treasures are, and they say the greatest treasure is actually behind that curtain. Now, I heard Shane Willard say that that was quite a clever little um, move by the priests. Because what were they expecting to happen when Nebuchadnezzar went through that curtain, that he would be struck down dead? What a great feat. Go through there. But it doesn't work out that way. Nebuchadnezzar goes through with his army, tears the curtain down. Nothing happens. Takes the ark. Remember, they had to carry the ark on poles, like nine-foot poles, covered up with all these different skins so you couldn't see it. And no one could touch that. Here he goes, and he just takes it with his army, plunders everything, grabs all of Israel, takes them out. Their wives were raped. Some of them died. Their sons 
were taken as slaves. Their daughters were, were taken as slaves. And not just slaves to go and work in kitchens, people. These were sex slaves, some of them. The men who were under a certain age would have their testicles cut off. This is normal practice. Ezekiel was a young man. He had seen the temple of God. He is now taken, and here he is sitting with all these exiles in a tragic situation. He doesn't have his testicles anymore. His wife is dead, and his, if he had any kids, they're no longer with him. And here they are sitting in a foreign land. To a Jewish person, you only heard God when you were in God's land, in the holy land, in the promised land. That's where they heard God. That was the place where God brought them to and had given to them. And here he is sitting in a place where he doesn't have his testicles, so he's lost his manhood. He doesn't have his wife. He's in exile. The temple is completely destroyed. They don't even know where the ark of God actually is. You would call that a pretty average week. You'd call that a pretty average five years. (laughs) Half a decade, wouldn't you? And in this place, five years later, this young man, you know the song, By the Rivers of Babylon? You know that song, huh? For me, it was made big by a band called Sublime. By the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, and there we wept as we remembered Zion. How can we be singing our songs when we live in a strange land? Here they are. They are slaves But God comes and he speaks to Ezekiel in that place. A vision so great that he couldn't maintain it. And God calls Ezekiel. Very similarly to us, the church. Let's let's bypass the fantastical vision. Those of you who want to go and study all those things, you're welcome to go and do it. But for the purpose of today's sermon, this is not really going to be the one where I'm going to get into the metaphors, and I really just I actually would need to study it myself to find out, and to be honest with you, I might be wrong. But he says this to Ezekiel from, verse two, sorry, from chapter 2, verse 1. Now remember, here he is. He's in, a, he's, he's in an average five years. He's in an average, and I, I would say it was more than, than, than even challenging. It was tragic. He was in a tragic situation. Israel's in a tragic situation. And here he is. God starts speaking to him. Remember this. Why would God speak to us? In a place of absolute tragedy. Because that's what he does. We've, we, we got ourselves here. Not, I'm not saying you and me. Israel got themselves to that place. Why would God come now and speak to us? And it says in chapter 1 of verse 2. And he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet. I love that. Get up. Stand up. And I will speak with you. Isn't that just You know, we're sitting there at the river, just like Elijah, and the ravens are feeding us, and there's a little stream from a brook, and we're hiding away because we're tired and we're broken, and we've had a pretty average day, pretty average year, pretty average week. And all of a God and God says, Stand up. Get up, and I will speak to you. And he spoke to me, and the Spirit, I love that. This is before the Holy Spirit. Before we understand the Holy Spirit as we do now in the New Testament. This is, this is generations before. And the Spirit entered into me, and he set me on my feet. I don't even know what that looks like. for, But it's the Spirit entered me, and he set me on my feet. 
I don't know if there was a supernatural hand that came down and literally grabbed him and stuck him on his feet while he was sitting at the river because that's what they were doing. They were just sitting, moping around at the river. Slaves, set me on my feet and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, son of man, I send you to the people of Israel. Now remember, when, we speak, when you see people of Israel, God's saying, I'm sending you to my people. I'm sending you to my people, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. Wow. Welcome to Australia. Huh? Think about it. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants, their descendants, are also impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, this is what the Lord God says. And whether they hear you or they refuse to hear you, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though there are briars and thorns, sorry, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. This is pretty interesting. Do not be afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are rebellious. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear you or they refuse to hear you, for they are a rebellious house. Well, God's pretty, cons <laughs> he's striking home. These people are rebellious. Just remember this. I'm, I'm going to ask you to talk to them. I want you to speak my words. Don't be afraid. Look, you're going to be among briars and thorns, and you're going to be sitting on scorpions. Sounds very similar to Jesus going, listen. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Well, just, just back it up there, Jesus. Did you, mean, did you mean to say, I'm sending you out like lions among wolves? No, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Oh, okay. Okay, so this is not going to be an easy battle, right? Oh, and by the way, they're rebellious. Now, I want you to speak to them. I don't want you to be afraid, and whether they hear or they don't hear, they'll know this, that a prophet has been among them. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. You must not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it out before me, and it had writing on the front and the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat the scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and you must fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it. It was in my mouth. It was as sweet as honey. That speaks to the word of God. It's like honey. To my lips. Doesn't it say that in the word? It's like honey to my lips. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and hard language. But I'm sending you to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of foreign speech and hard language. Whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to them, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. For they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. I'm going to stop there for a second. That's quite amazing. That word, actually, I was going to go with my 
late wife Farah, we were going to go plant a church in Brazil. The, the nation was opening up to us. We had made many contacts, and there was opportunity for us to go there. And I remember praying, and I, God gave me this word, and he says, I'm actually not sending you to that country. I'm sending you to this country, Australia. I'm not sending you to a land of foreign speech where they would actually listen to you. But I'm going to send you to people that speak your language, and they're going to be rebellious. And truth, Bob, that's exactly what's happened. <laughs> but this is not about me. This is about a man called Ezekiel and a people who are in a nation who are a rebellious nation. They've got a, they've got a group of people that are rebellious, and they've got their enemy completely surrounding them. They are in enemy territory. And God comes in, and he gives this man, Ezekiel, the most wildest of vision. And if you read through Ezekiel, the things that happened, the things that he saw were just phenomenal. Isn't that similar to us, church, who have had a pretty average week? It's in those places that God begins to speak to us. In the, in the most challenging of places that God begins to speak to us. Go with me to a psalm that we all know incredibly well, which is Psalm 23. I heard this sermon this week, but I'm not going to preach the sermon that I heard by Louis Giglio, but he mentions the psalm in, in his preach. And he goes, the Lord is my shepherd. We all know that. I will lack nothing. Isn't that quite something? Well, hang on a second. We love that. That's on fridge magnets. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. Or I shall not be in want is the, the, the correct terminology for it. But still, I will lack nothing. Or, or hold on. Look at Ezekiel. Well, what are they lacking? My testicles. They're gone. My wife. Our kids. Our country. Our God. This big God of ours. This God who would strike down anyone who went in there, who said to us, I promise you, I will strike down your enemies. The God who we heard did fantastical, amazing feats against enemies. He was the one who was a pillar of fire by night, who fed us. We were never hungry. Our clothes never wore out. Our sandals never wore out. We were never burnt by the hot sun. This God is not with me. Has anyone gone through something where you're going, actually, God, you're not with me. I don't feel like you're fighting on my behalf. I have. I've been on that journey. It's a terrible journey. Now, Jesus promises us this. <laughs> In this world, you will have many troubles. What a great promise. We're all grabbing that one. That's on our fridge magnet. No one has that on their bumper sticker. In this world, you will have many troubles. Woohoo! Christianity 101, off we go. But this is what he says. Look, listen here. In this world, you will have many troubles. If you follow me, you're going to have many troubles. But take heed or take courage. For I have overcome the world. When the storm was raging, Jesus was with them in the boat. And I love the fact that he doesn't take them out of the boat. Because I, I, honestly, I've been through a fire where I've gone, just take me out of this place. In actual fact, I've been in a position where it was so intense that I actually said, can you just rather take me out? Not out of it, take me out. Like I wanted to die. I didn't want to commit suicide. I didn't have thoughts of cutting my wrists or taking tablets and overdosing on, on, on pills. I didn't, I didn't want to do myself off, but I said to God, this is actually such a painful place to be. Rather remove me from this world. But he's with us. I heard Louis Giglio say that. He said, in this, in this time, 
God is with you. We want God to take us out of it. And then I heard Bill Johnson say recently, which is from an old sermon that popped up on my feed. It's quite strange. I, I, I don't know why it popped up, but I, I have seen this many, many years. When I mean many years ago, like maybe over eight, nine, ten years ago. But it popped up for some reason, and he said this. He goes, it is in the trials, and, and, and it is only in trials, that there's an aspect of God that he can reveal to you. That it can only be revealed in the trial. It can, that aspect of God cannot be revealed to you outside of a trial. In this world you will have many troubles, but take courage. I am with you. Imagine being Ezekiel sitting there. And in that place, he just suddenly sees this open vision of what God is showing him. He sees into heavenly places. He sees these creatures. He, he looks and he sees these fantastic creatures around. And then God begins to speak to him. What, what would that be like? What would it be like? I think it would be quite refreshing. The Lord's my shepherd. I will lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guards me along the right path for his namesake. I love that. Listen, listen. He guards me along the right path for your blessing or for you. No, 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 no. He says he does it for his own namesake. Remember, everything's about God. Nothing's about you. Let's just take ourselves off the pedestal for a minute. The gospel is not about you. I've spoken about this a long, long time ago. Nothing in the gospel is about you. Everything is about Jesus. He is the gospel. He is the good news. And we get to share in him. Isn't that incredible? In Peter, to Peter, Peter writes an, a, a message. I want to just quickly see if I can skip across here without losing my place there. Better go to, go to my other Bible. To Peter, if you want to all go there. Pardon? Tell you what. There we go. It's working. iPad one, eh? iPad one. Everyone wants the latest things. I want the new iPad. This iPad one still works. A bit slow, but hey, still works. And I don't want to upgrade it. It always says, "Do you want to update?" I'm like, "Mate, if I update, blank screen. You'll never, you'll never retrieve this again." And all I use this for is Bible and reading. Anyway, let's have a look at this. I don't want to digress. His divine power. God's divine power from chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through these promises you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world due to or because of sinful desire. Paul the Apostle throws in this incredible little golden nugget in the midst of this little dispatch that he does. Oh, sorry, not Paul the Apostle, Peter. Peter writes this, sorry. Sorry, Peter, for taking your glory. Um, he says this, that we may become partakers of his divine nature. That, that's a massive scripture. We are partakers of the divine nature of God. If you meditate on that for a week, 
it will not properly sink in. None of us really know what that means. Jesus knew what it means, that he was a partaker of the divine nature. Peter writes this, interestingly enough. If you look at verse 1, he goes, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by righteousness of our God and Savior. Peter writes, sorry, Peter 1 one Peter actually speaks about who he's writing to. It says that he, he wrote, he writes to the dispersion of the, the people that are dispersed among the nations. And they were dispersed among the, um, the, ten, the ten cities. So they were no longer living together. He's actually writing to Christians who were in exile. They had fled their, their homeland because obviously Rome had engaged them. Very similar to Ezekiel. Peter's saying, you who are out there dispersed among the nations, you're no longer living in your home comfort land, you are in the nations. He goes, you have become partakers of the divine nature. And then if you read through Peter, it's quite interesting how he teaches them. Two, 1 Peter and 2 Peter is really Peter teaching them how to live among these nations. I think that you know, if we as a church could even do a series through 1 Peter and 2 Peter, it's quite interesting how he calls them to live, live at peace with those among you. Be gentle. Keep to yourselves. Don't get, you know, don't, don't get involved in all the, the, the stuff that's going on around you. Just you know, st stay on the track that God's asked you to stay on. Back to the psalm. He makes me lie down. This is helpful for anyone. He guards me on the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, this is the NIV, but it's actually even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I prefer that translation. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Who's walked through that valley? I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Isn't that interesting? And I heard Louis Giglio say this. We, he said, if we had to write that, we would, we would write it like this. You will never walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because I will remove it from you or remove you from it. That's how we would write it. But God doesn't say that in this. He says, he says I, you, you will walk through this valley, but you will fear no evil, for I will be with you. I'm with you in the boat. I'm with you in exile. I'm with you in the struggle. I'm with you in the shadow of death when it's breathing over you. I'm with you in your average or challenging week. I'm with you in the moment when there's absolute victory. The easiest time to see God is when you're having a great time. When the bank balance is up and you're all good, you don't have the bills to pay and the money's flowing in and you've got the good job. When your health is in a good place, when you're in the good seasons, it's easy to praise God. But God asks us, and I heard this song, I heard this song by um, many, many years ago, and you probably all know it, by a band called Casting Crowns. And it's called, I Will Praise You in the Storm. Does anyone know that song? Anyone? He says this, I will praise you in the storm, and I will lift my hands, for you are who you are, no matter where I am. And every tear I cry, you hold in your hands. You've never left my side. Although my heart is torn, I will praise you in the storm. And I went through that storm with my 
with my previous wife, Farah. And I remember we used to listen to that song and we used to just stand there and go, you know what? We're going to praise God because it says that he is who he is. No matter where I am, God remains constant. That's the only constant in our life is God. He remains absolutely constant. That's why when he says, I'm with you, I'm with you, he is constant in that place. He walks with us through the valley. He walks with you through the storm. He walks with you through the sickness. He walks with you through the depressive thoughts. He walks with you through the victories. He walks with you through the great season. He walks with you through the prosperity. And then it says this, you will guide me with your staff. Sorry, for, for you're with me, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So it's interesting. Um, again, I heard Louis Gugler say that when God's talking about sheep, like we, we think it's a good thing. But if you look at sheep in reality, they're actually pretty useless. They are. They are, they are, and, and, and yeah, Naomi was saying to me the one day, and Katie's just reminded me, they grew up on a farm, they grew up on farms, and so, so Naomi was saying, actually, sheep are actually pretty useless. They really are. They, they don't have much going for them. They, they're not fighters. They're not a very strong animal. They get stuck with their wooliness in briars, and they get stuck there, and they can't make their way back down to the water, and they, they actually, um, shepherds will often go up and find the sheep dead just hanging by its own wool. Its own, you know, in, in, in briars, it's, it dies. The, the wolves take them, they, they wander off aimlessly, and you know, well, that's why he has to go after the one. He's got to go find the one. I have to leave the 99 to go find the one because the one is either stuck somewhere, they're not very pleasant animals to be around. They, he, the shepherd will pick up the sheep and the sheep will kick and bite the shepherd this is what we are referred to. And we're like, oh, we are your sheep and you are our shepherd. Well, actually, just take a step back there. I don't want to be the sheep. <laughs> I really don't want to. I want you to be my shepherd, but I don't want to be a sheep. Honestly, sometimes I'd rather be a goat because they can climb trees and little mountains. They're a little bit more nimble. You know, you don't see. So the rod and his staff is to guide and comfort us. And, this, and then this is the key verse here. He says this, you prepare. We know this verse so well. We quote this verse, but do we understand the reality of this verse? You prepare for me a table in the presence of my enemies. Isn't that mind-blowing? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I want, what does that look like? And I mean, I know in, in the, the, the sermon we watched by Louis Giglio, he had this table set out and he sat down among the whole church and he sort of put it a little bit in the middle of them. Has anyone seen that sermon? Ah, it's pretty interesting. And um, his sermon's a, a lot different to mine. I'm not using his. I just use that analogy because he uses it in his preach. But he sits down at this table and he's got all this wonderful food on it and he's just, he's eating it. And he says, imagine this, you're surrounded by your enemies. But God prepares a place of fellowship. A, a, to prepare a table for somebody in, in Israel, in those lands, is, was, it was a big, big deal because it was quite arid, quite dry. It wasn't a very luscious place um, in, those, in those Middle Eastern lands. And so to pre prepare a table for somebody was to invite them in to host them. God hosts us in the presence of our enemies. 
That, that's a huge, huge deal. And he says this, he goes, he goes, wouldn't it be better for him to say, and you prepare a table before me in your presence, O Lord? That would seem more logical in our Christianese and our happy little, we're, we're, we're running through the rose fields, Christianity. Everything is perfect, triumphalist view. Nothing bad can happen to a Christian. Really? Oh, my gosh. No, no, we are victorious. Yes, we're victorious. We know this. Well, that means that nothing bad can come against you. Um, you need to go reread your Bible with the correct lenses. Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. But be okay. They hate you because they hate me. Fantastic. So we, we're sheep among wolves. We've been sent out among wolves. People are rebellious. They're not going to want to know us. We are, we're going to be hated and persecuted. Um, you know, where, does it, where do we get the theology or the doctrine, should I say, that everything is going to be fine in this world? But everything is fine in the sense that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And as we learn to sit at the table with him in the presence of our enemies. Now, Eli Elisha goes with his servant into a city and the enemy comes against him. They, they want to kill him. Put it this way. They want to kill this guy because this is the guy that is telling Israel's kings what they are plotting against Israel because God is showing him. So they think there's a spy that's in their land. They're like, we, who's, who's spying? And someone says, no, hold on. It's not, there's no spy among us, O king. What it is, is this guy, there's this prophet, and he sees this stuff that we're saying, and then he goes and tells them. So he's like, right, we're going to get this guy. We'll go kill him. So now his attention turns from wanting to attack the enemies to making this prophet his enemy. And they come and they surround him. And his, his servant is there. And he goes, oh, we, we're in trouble. We've got a big problem here, sir. Now, this is his disciple. The enemy is surrounding us. And he says, open his eyes, Lord, for those who are for us are greater than those who are against us. And when he opens his eyes, Around the, so you've got them in the middle on this little city. The, the, the city is surrounded by the enemy, and around the enemy is the armies of God. And I heard Louis say this. He goes, even though you are surrounded by your enemies, God surrounds us all. Isn't that amazing? Not only is he surrounding us all, but he's actually sitting in the middle of it across the table from you. Because he's, he's omnipresent. He can be, see, the enemy can't be in all places at the same time, but God can. So he's sitting with us having a meal, and, he surround, and, and our enemies are surrounding us, and we should be feasting and fellowshipping with each other and with God in the midst of our enemies. Now, that's a challenging word right there. Because let me tell you something. The fear comes towards me. Because I've faced challenges in life, and the enemy wants to remind me of those things. So he keeps saying to me, hey, remember that? Remember that thing happened? Yes, I'll do it again. That's exactly what he says. I will do that again. Okay. And we listen to that voice. And then we start to repeat it in our head. And then our mouth begins to speak. And when you begin to speak, you begin to release a word. And when you release a word, that word becomes a seed that can be watered and grow. Now, you've got to be careful what you hear. You've got to be careful how you process it through here. 
And then you've got to be very careful what you say out of your mouth. And I'm very strong with my family members. And when they say something that is not right, and I will call them up on it. Hey, babes. Often. I say, you do not speak that out. You fight the battle here, and then you speak out the word of God. My daughter as well. Teenagers, when they get all emotional, especially girls, then they start to say things, and when they, and they, but they're, not, they're saying things that are irrational. And I remember she was, my daughter was, was singing a song, and I said to her, don't sing that song. Oh, why not? I said, because listen to the words of it. And I reminded her of a song that her mother used to sing, which was from a band called Garbage. You know what's going to come out of that song. Good band, by the way. When we were young, growing up, it was all fancy, and we're like, woo. And then she started singing it in her, in her days of trouble, when she had the cancer and it was, things were going bad. She used to sing. She, she was singing it one day, and, and I came home, and she came out, and she goes, my darling, I just realized something. I've been singing that song over myself. And, and the song goes, I'm only happy when it rains. I'm only happy when the sun don't shine. Um, and, it was all the, and she just caught this revelation. And that revelation became my revelation. We went, actually, we sing these songs <laughs> and they're declarations. I'm only happy when it rains. No, I'm not. I'm happy all the time. I want to be joyful. I want to, the joy of the... That's another fridge magnet. But think about it for a moment. What does that mean? The joy of the Lord is my strength. When you want to find strength in your time of trouble, where do you go? To the joy of God. To the delight of God. Who is the delight of God? Jesus. He is the delight of the Father. And you are in Christ, therefore you are His delight. He delights Himself in you. The, the enemies of God, it says in the Scriptures, they gather around you, but God sits on His throne and He, he laughs. How ridiculous is that? Why? Because he doesn't have any problems. And then he says, I'm going to sit down. And now you must know, in Israel, when, when God sets a table, the table isn't a morbid table. You don't have just a bowl of soup and a piece of dry bread. When God sets tables, it speaks of feasting. When you look at the feasts of Israel to celebrate their calendar times, to celebrate what God had done, the first few feasts, to celebrate what God had achieved, they were victory. And the, and the last, and the, the, the second half of the feasts, which I, I'm happy to do teachings on at some point, are to, are to speak about the coming events. But there were, every feast was a celebration. So when God says, I set before you a table, it's not just a little candlelit dinner. It's a feast. And at God's feasts, they were to take fermented drinks, and it said, drink and be merry. There was laughing. There was music. There was lots of food. There was a robust conversation happening. It was festive time. It wasn't just a little quiet dinner. Two of us in the corner, Lord God. It was a massive feast. In the presence of, its, of our enemies, God wants us to celebrate with him and to celebrate him. Because like I've said to you many, many times, what is the greatest weapon we have against Satan? It's worshiping God. When times of trouble come, we must just worship God. Just begin to praise God. That's why we're sitting over here today, and, and Edith asked at the beginning, who's had a challenging week? Many put their hand up. Actually, only a few people said it's been a great week. Most people were either average or challenging. And if you were honest, some of you probably had a really tough time, and it probably hasn't just been a week. It's been probably a season, right? 
But, right? Okay. Well, if you haven't, <laughs> you're more than likely going to have a tough season. Why? Because they come. Why? Because the Bible says they are. <laughs> so whether you're in a good place now, fantastic. Get yourself into a position. When the, when the, when the, when the, the tough season comes, you have to stay constant. That's the whole point, right? The best thing to do, and we were all here today, tough season, average, tough week, average week, challenging week, whatever it was, and we were struggling. We're struggling to get through into worship, but then we broke through. And how did everyone feel when we got through that point? I felt wonderful. I thought, yeah, this is fantastic. We're in it. Why? Because we began to fellowship and worship God in that period. And as we do that, it starts to destroy the work of the enemy because he can't stand it. Here he is surrounding you and you are fellowshipping and feasting and worshiping God. There is no answer that Satan has or any other enemy has for that. And so effectively, guys, that was what I just felt during worship to share with us. It's to just learn to sit at the table. Ezekiel's life was probably worse than ours, right? You're in Australia. 2019. You're in a pretty good place. Men, you still got your testicles. <laughs> Maybe some guys have one. I don't know your story. I know a guy that's got one. But you're not in exile. You're in a safe country. If you don't have a job, you have a system in place that can help you get back on your feet. You've got a community of people around you. You're not like Ezekiel. You're not even like David being chased around. When you were the king anointed, you're running around being chased by the current king who shouldn't even be there because you've been anointed for 14 years years before you even get an opportunity to take over Judah, 22 before he became the king of both Israel and Judah. And he's running around, hiding, hasn't seen his family, and someone wants to kill him. Whose life's that bad? No? Good. There's, 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 there's a lot of examples that we can just read in this one book here. Okay? Here we are. We've had a challenging week, challenging season, but you know what? God has set before us a table in the presence of our enemies. Why don't we just fellowship at that table? Huh? And, and, and Joe, on key, Joe starts bringing out the food. Now, you couldn't have had better timing, Joe. I think Joe timed it. He's like, man, if this guy says it one more time, I'm coming out there with the food. <laughs> and he is setting a table before us. So guys, I think, where do we go from here? Let's pray and then let's actually go and fellowship with each other and feast. And let's, let's take this week. You can't change what happened. So don't try to bother about it because there's nothing you can do about the past. That thing you said, you can't take it back. You can apologize for it. That job you lost, you ain't getting it back. It's time to find another one. That thought you may have had or those thoughts you had, put them to bed. It's time to think new for a new, new week ahead of us, right? So Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you set, I know it sounds cheesy because we read the scripture all the time, but you, you do, you set before us a table in the presence of our enemy. I don't know entirely what that looks like because I know that, Lord, my mindset sometimes wavers. But you are gracious. You are patient with us. But I pray that, Father, we would somehow hold on to this incredible truth. And we would, we would know that in the place where it's tragic, where there's issues, you speak to us like you did to Ezekiel. You can give us, and you do give us, visions and dreams in that exact place. 
and you teach us and fashion and shape us in that exact place. And you fellowship with us in the midst of the turmoil that we're going through. And your joy is always constant. And your joy is our strength. May we grab strength from your joy. When we're in the lion's den, you are right there with us. You are with us when we walk through the valley. You are with us when we walk through the victory. I pray that you would bring revelation to us, including myself today. That you would bring revelation to us as a community. So that we would step into greater things, greater measures of uh, intimacy with you. Greater measures of intimacy with one another. That, Lord, we would drive, as we heard this morning, drive the enemy back. Because, you know, we are on the offensive. How can, you, how can an enemy stand against a people that will never, ever be, be afraid and people that will never, ever um, stop worshiping you? No matter how hard he comes against us, we will just continue to worship. I mean, that drives him back. He must be afraid. He must be scared of us. He must be confused by our sheer stupidity. It is our greatest strength. And Father, I just pray blessing upon every person here. Lord, the circumstances that need to be changed, I pray that you'd give wisdom for us to make those decisions that can help us come out of some of these situations. I pray that, Father, we would know that you are walking with us through it. And as we go now and fellowship with each other, may we also take communion. As we eat the bread, the sandwiches, the biscuits, Lord Jesus, we, we remember your death that you died to bring us into eternal life. We remember your resurrection, that you are not left in the grave, but you came back to life. And with you, we were raised back to life in you. That what a victory that is, that you ascended to the throne where you sit as the king of glory forever and ever. Your throne will never be toppled. To the increase of your government and peace, there will be no end. And we declare that you will come again you are coming again to wrap all of this up in completion. And as we drink coffee and juice and water, we thank you, Jesus. Your blood was shed in our place. By your stripes, we've been healed. By your blood, we've been cleansed. And in you, we are completely and absolutely victorious. We say all of this in your magnificent name. Amen.